0: Hello, it's Monday, February the 14th. It's Valentine's Day, of course, and this is the Andrew Pearce Show coming from the Damo Newsroom. Coming up... We're giving you a tip on how to behave on that Valentine's Day date or dinner. Why smartphones could be harming children's health. Buses. The number of people using them has slumped. The government's about to withdraw a subsidy, which means there'll be even fewer buses on the road. But first, are we even closer to potential military conflict between Russia and the Ukraine. So more than a dozen countries, including the UK and the United States, have urged their citizens to get out of Ukraine and quickly amid warnings of an imminent invasion. Russia is continuing to deny plans to invade despite massing more than 100,000 soldiers on Ukraine's borders and a reported 30,000 close to the Belarus-Ukraine border. Russian TV has begun a propaganda campaign broadcasting unsubstantiated claims Ukraine has tortured and savagely killed thousands of civilians in the Donbass region. Is this the final step in justifying an invasion? Joining me now is... Mary Dajeski, she's a, a, a columnist on the Independent, a former foreign correspondent in Moscow, and a foreign affairs expert. Mary, does it does it smell to you like war now?
1: <laughs> well, I've been quite insistent right from the beginning that I very much doubted that there'd be a war, um, and I stick to that because right. it seems to me that it is not in Russia's interest in the slightest.
0: And that's because um, Ukraine would would fight hard and and uh, and it could become a long drawn out military conflict or because of the, the threat of the sanctions or is it a bit of both?
1: No, I don't think any, it's anything to do with sanctions. I th- think Russia is actually quite resilient um, towards sanctions. Um, I think it looks at sanctions with a rather sort of air of resignation. Um and if for russia it 's a contest between what it would regard as its own national security and western sanctions basically it's it 's no contest um national security is going to win every time um, but the reason i don 't think Russia is going to go to war over Ukraine mm. is as you say, partly because of the risk of getting bogged down in Ukraine and a very very nasty war because the likelihood is that Ukrainians would fight if there were a full-scale invasion. Um, and I know it's said that, you know, Russia, if, if, if Russia were to attack, um, say, Kiev from the air or to surround Kiev, that it could do that quite quickly and it might subdue the country. Um, but I think Ukraine, as it currently is, um, Russia would find it a very um, very difficult place to subdue. Um, I also think, you know, Russia, Russia knows about wars in, in the winter. Yeah. Um, Russia knows about guerrilla wars because it lost one in Afghanistan mm. within living memory. And, you know, these are unpopular wars in Russia. So, I, you know, th- for all those reasons, I think it would, Russia would have to be very much afraid for its own national security if it was going to fight.
0: And that's not an issue, is it? Because nobody thinks, even though uh, Putin doesn't like all the NATO troops that he says are too close to the Russian border, NATO is not an aggressor. It's a defensive organization. It's not going to invade. It's not going to invade Russia any time. Does he have to be given, though, Mary, does Putin need something, some form of concession or compromise from from NATO or America? So he can look at the Russian people in the eye and say, I, I, I won. I saw that. I, I saw them off.
1: Well, I think it's a great pity in a way that this, this whole um, what's going on at the moment, this whole emergency is being seen as winning or losing by right. either side you know yeah. we're looking at america talking about really facing down russia yeah um and saying you know we want we, we want to make russia climb down and it's good and then you've got all sorts of analysts saying it's going to be really difficult for russia to climb down and i think it's just unfortunate that it's that, that, that it's being cast in those terms because in those terms yes Russia needs something to present you know not as a complete victory but at least as a you know as as some sort of concessional explanation yeah. as to why it might be it might start to reduce those troops that it that, that it's put on the border.
0: so do you think something like that will happen?
1: Well, it's very interesting because you know these things it tend to change practically by the hour over the mm. last couple of weeks. And this morning there was, um, I think, the Ukraine's ambassador to the UK was on the radio and he was talking about maybe Ukraine might consider um, giving some sort of undertaking not to join NATO for the foreseeable future. In a way, this is something that Russia has been asking. Russia wants more than that, but, you know, even a, a sort of holding a holding undertaking by Ukraine to that effect. Um, It might, in a way, satisfy both sides because the Western view is that there can be no Russian veto on um, NATO enlargement, that that has to be to do with the countries that want to join. But if if that comes from Ukraine itself, then it's hard to see how there could could be objections from from the US or the UK or from, from NATO. But the other interesting thing about what the what what the Ukrainian ambassador said this morning, you know, you don't know whether it was kite flying, whether it was a mistake, um, what what status um, what he what he said had. But the interesting thing that the, almost immediately there was, or there appeared to be, a response from the Kremlin as saying that you know, if there were an undertaking from Ukraine, then that would, as it were, be a reason for de-escalation. And so it looks, from that, the mm. optimistic interpretation would be that everybody's looking for a way out. Yeah. Course, the pessimistic explanation would be that it was the ambassador was misspeaking, that it's mm. all going to be retracted, that um, Russia decides not to be so cooperative, and the UK and the US carry on with their, um, with their sort of hawkish war warnings.
0: And just finally on the hawkish war wars, we we know the prime minister is about to um, disappear again. He might even be on his way already. He's, he's some, going somewhere in Eastern Europe. Uh, perhaps he's even going to go to, to to Russia. Do we have any real influence in this, Mary? I know we're a, a major player in NATO, but are we a big player in the diplomatic conversations around Ukraine and Russia?
1: Well, I have to say I very much doubt that we are. Um, mm. Partly because the UK hasn't has never been involved. Um, in the Norman 4 process, which is the main sort of framework um, that the French and Germans have been involved with um, for trying to sort out the Ukraine mess since 2014, mm-hmm. the UK has not been involved in that. Now the UK is not is not in the EU, and the EU, although it's not been a particular player this time around, it has been a player in um, in in the in the Ukraine crisis and it has to be said that yes you know the uk is a player in nato but russia isn't interested in the uk in nato if russia is dealing with nato then it sees the us as being the master of nato and those are the only people that it wants to deal with
0: fascinating always fascinating to talk to you that's Mary to journalist former moscow correspondent and columnist on the independent Visit mailpluscouk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and much more. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at MailPlus or me at Toryboy Pierce. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at MailPlus or me at Toryboy Pierce. So the bus recovery grant was introduced to help keep services running as passenger numbers plummeted during the pandemic. But now it's kind of come to an end and people fear the result will be bus services across the country could be cut by almost a third without the emergency funding. Joining me to talk about this is Darren Rodwell, Councillor Darren Rodwell, who's Transport Spokesman at the Local Government Association and he's also the leader of Barking and Dagenham Council. Councillor Rodwell, um, I get why bus use was down during the pandemic but we are getting back to work now or a lot of people lot more people seem to be back to work but bus but numbers still more than 20% down on the pandemic
2: that's right actually they're 26% down so are that's they? Uh, a quarter yeah, yeah. so In that respect, it shows that people are still not sure about public transport and how to interact with that. Obviously, some of that will be people working from home because not everyone wants to do a five-day week going into the office. And obviously, these services are really crucial outside of London because they very much support people in the rural communities that need this transport to be able to just get their shopping let alone jobs just daily activities
0: yeah and and uh, i mean my understanding these you'll know the figures better than me more than one 1.7 billion has been given to bus operators to keep services running because the bus operators their their revenue has collapsed effectively
2: that's right yes i mean it's all part of the government's uh package to support business throughout the pandemic what we're saying as a local government association is actually this has a much better um, outcome for residents, no matter where they are, uh, if this package could continue beyond March. Because the alternatives there are is are actually could cost local government, regional government, and national government more money to support those who are the most vulnerable, who rely on public transport.
0: The the chance the of presumably is is it is decides whether this money is to be continued continued uh, or is the money is the money coming from the Department of Transport. Which part of government is, uh, has the money come from, Councillor?
2: So as I understand it, it's, it's direct from the Treasury, it's announced national right. uh, by strategy. So, you know, it it is you know we understand that the funding has to come to an end at some point but there's certain parts of the funding system across the whole of government where we've got to look at what is best to help the economy uh, bounce back and actually taking away public transport isn't the best especially when you know government itself has just declared the climate change emergency you know there's a whole raft of thing, number of things there so what we're saying is, well, at this moment in time, it won't help business, it won't help residents, and it certainly won't help the green ambitions as well.
0: What chance do you think there is of the Chancellor listening to your pleas at the Local Government Association?
2: Well, I like to think that we are the specialists in understanding communities and delivering outcomes that really do help the country recover. Um, only, uh, only we've just got to wait and see whether uh, the Chancellor does listen or if he feels and the ministers around him and officers feel that they know better. But uh, we can only put the case asking him to consider something that we think is very important to support uh, citizens no matter where they are.
0: Do you ever get on a bus?
2: Many times. In fact, to come to the town of Hawaii, I use the train as well, but we've got TfL, which is a whole difference of of, uh, conversation... Going on uh, about that at this moment
0: in time. Very interesting. Well, and, and glad to hear that you use the buses. I use buses and the tubes all the time, councillor. So you'd be pleased to know that. That's Councillor Dan Rodwell. He's transport spokesman at the Local Government Association, and he's also the leader of Barking and Dagenham Council. A new study of teenagers around the world, including sixty thousand. British Teenagers has concluded there is a link between loneliness and smartphone use. Figures show that the number of teenagers who say they feel alienated among peers has tripled since 2000, which of course coincides with the uptake of smartphones. Daria Cuss is an associate professor in psychology at Nottingham Trent University. Professor, why would a phone, which is supposed to be a a link to uh, all their mates and their family, actually enhance loneliness as opposed to um, have the opposite effect?
3: Well, this is a really good question. I mean, of course, there are always two sides to the story. On the one hand, yes, the phone allows us to connect with our peers, with our family members, with our loved ones. But at the same time, we also know that excessive phone use is associated with a number of problems uh, which have been related to feelings of depression, anxiety, stress, and some of the research that exists on that topic, including the research that we've done at Nottingham Trent University. I think one of the things that we need to bear in mind is that using smartphones and using social media especially on our smartphones is the status quo. This is how we lead our lives and as a consequence, you know, not only our behaviors change but also our thinking associated with that as well as our emotions. We know that some individuals, especially younger individuals, when they excessively use their phones may experience a variety of detrimental consequences. Um, and therefore, we need to really, really realise that actually phone use for a small number of excessive users may be problematic.
0: I guess, I suppose it's 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 when when I was at school, and uh, which is of course in the um, in, in in Victorian times, it seems to me, we we used to talk to each other as kids. We talked to each other all the time. If I was always getting into trouble uh, for being a chatterbox, I suppose now if people are on phones much more that art of dialogue conversation is dying a bit
3: well we know that a number of researchers have written about uh, how conversations appear to not be quite as common anymore especially among, uh, amongst the younger generations conversations that you and i would you know normally and naturally engage in yeah. where for the youngsters in the present day and age you know the children and teenagers The situation might look slightly differently because they very often communicate via the medium of their phone. So there's always a kind of mediation of the relationship that they have with their peers, with their family members, where a lot of it is taking place through social media, via text-based messages, et cetera, where actually talking appears to be less common and text-based communication appears much more frequently used.
0: Uh, and how serious is, is this problem of loneliness for some of these teenagers, Professor? I mean, are they going to have to, uh, are some of them ha- having to get counselling, therapy or not?
3: Well, there is indeed a small number of individuals who have significant problems as a consequence of using technology, their smartphones, which may result in uh, feelings of loneliness as well. And of course, this has been significantly exacerbated with the pandemic where uh, you know social media actually have functioned as a lifeline for a lot of those teenagers who then finally still were able to connect with their environment so we really need to bear in mind that yes although for a small minority of excessive users you know smartphone use may indeed um, be associated with a number of psychological problems we have also seen especially over the last two years how beneficial Smartphone and social media use has become where it still offered a possibility to be connected a possibility to have almost like a lifeline to the world and to the social world
0: uh, And it's quite th- these figures are quite significant because I'm just looking at the research loneliness measured was measured as unchanged between 2000 and 2003 at 10% But by 2018 it's up at 33% that I mean that's a huge increase
3: That is certainly a very big increase but you have to bear in mind other factors that may have not been measured with that particular research so you know a lot of um, the issues that appear in research are uh, correlational issues where there is uh, an association that is found between, for example, uh, increased smartphone use and increased feelings of depression, loneliness, anxiety, et cetera. There may be a number of confounding factors that also contribute to that relationship. And this is something that we need to bear in mind. Those confounding factors are factors that have not been measured in that research and that may significantly impact the results. So this is always something that, you know, it's really important to consider when thinking about those associations in those variables.
0: And just finally on that, the, I see the increase in, for, in loneliness is higher amongst girls than boys. Is there do you, any significance in that, Professor, uh, um, and as to why perhaps girls more than boys?
3: Well, we know that girls are more likely to use social media uh, and also more likely to use their smartphones. Our research here at Northern Trent University has showed that girls are more likely to use their smartphones and social media in a problematic way. As well, and some of the reasons for that may be increased loneliness, experiences of loneliness. Then, of course, you find the issues of body image problems as a consequence of using some of the very popular visual, uh, visual social media sites as well. So when we're thinking about, uh, you know, the kind of communicative media that we can use, smartphone, social media, then we know that for girls, they may be potentially more problematic than for boys
0: fascinating stuff that's daria cuss who's an associate who's the associate professor in psychology at nottingham trent university talking about that study involving sixty thousand british teenagers thanks so much for joining us that part of the podcast where we talk sport and who better to talk sport with than deputy sports editor tim nichols uh so this russian skater tim Going to be skating after all at the Winter Olympics. Big story, she
4: is. So, as you know, she uh, she won gold in the team event last week. Mm. Uh, she managed to pull off a quadruple jump, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, four revolutions in the air, landed on one foot. Very rarely done. Very rarely pulled off. Fantastic. Mm. Really wonderful to watch. She failed a drugs test. Right, uh, and. The Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is the highest court in sport, has ruled that due to exceptional circumstances, she can continue to compete at the Winter Olympics. Staggering. Which, obviously, has uh, upset a few people. Of course. Uh, They should take the medal off her. Well, they should, probably, if she is guilty of it, which, you know, unless the B sample proves to be uh, negative, then Mm. that would appear to be the case. Now yeah you know, she they they've argued that she shouldn't be provisionally suspense, suspended despite failing this drugs test because of her age that's oh, come into it which is ridiculous. seems uh, a, a fairly a hollow argument you're a and drugs cheat,
0: t- well, whatever age well that's the
4: argument that all that her sort of detractors are yeah. uh, a lot of people are saying uh, she tested uh, positive on the 25th mm. of December mm. Mm. results weren't re- revealed until the f- 8th of February quite why we had to wait that long yeah, yeah. we don't know uh the World Anti-Daping Agency are very disappointed, as you can mm. imagine. Mm. Now, we're also in this ridiculous situation where Russia have been banned for the last three Olympic Games mm. now. This is the second Winter Olympics, as well as Tokyo yep. last year. And yet, Russian athletes are still turning up at, these, uh, at the Olympics, which, again, doesn't so it looks, it seem makes quite a right. a joke of it all, doesn't well, it, it, really? I'm afraid it does. And, you know, there are 212 <laughs> Russian athletes competing in Beijing, and the first
0: positive Drugs tests is, is, is a Russian, and the reason they're banned is because of the drugs cheating. Well, it's state-sponsored
4: doping in Russia.
0: And what do they call themselves, the Russian team?
4: They, they are competing under the Russian Olympic Committee flag. It makes. But a it's complete, not Russia.
0: No, but it makes a complete mockery it, of all of
4: it. It does, as you can imagine. The Russians have said common sense and justice has prevailed. Yes. Uh, the IOC have said that there will be no uh, medal ceremony if she wins gold on Thursday. She's in the individual event on Thursday. She's favourite to win the gold right. in that. Uh, you know, you've got to feel for her competitors. People are facing her. You're in this impossible situation. But I I do think one important thing to say, Andrew, is she is 15. Yeah. This this isn't... We're not talking Ben Johnson or, you know, back in 88. This is a child. Yeah. You know questions have got to be asked of her coaches the trainer, the all, tra- all yeah. of those people yeah. who have yeah. you know this is child abuse essentially it is. And, and they're claiming she doesn't need drugs she's so brilliant if i tell you that 46 olympic medals have been stripped from the russians over the years that's <laughs> that's four times as many as any other country which is why they are banned from the olympics yeah, except uh so it, it's an incredible situation yeah she's an incredibly talented athlete mm. uh but she tested positive amazing story. therefore she should be absolutely banned that that's the bottom line so it's an incredible story you know Thursday's event is going to be fascinating mm. to watch and obviously this one will run and run it certainly will you know it's the Winter Olympics it's the biggest sports event if, it, if you're into your winter sports and it's been completely overshadowed by yeah. this Right. Now we're also going to be talking Champions League. It's back. The Champions League is back. Uh, I've missed it so much. I'm sure you have. We're in the knockout stages. This is where it really gets interesting. And this is the year, I'm telling you now, Manchester City are going to win the Champions League this year. Right. Best team Chelsea won it last year. Chelsea beat Manchester City in the final last year. Fine. Even though City finished way clear of Chelsea in the Premier League, they're way clear of Chelsea and Liverpool in the Premier League again this season. This is Pep Guardiola's sixth season at Manchester City. I think this is the season they're going to do it. They're up against Sporting Lisbon, Cristiano Ronaldo's first club. They play them tomorrow. They'll beat them. Uh, but the question is can they go all the way can they finally go all the way after all the huge investment from Abu Dhabi since the takeover in 2008 they've been in the Champions League since 2011 every season getting closer and closer last season got to the final 1-0 defeat against Chelsea only City can stop themselves this year they are hot favourites to win
0: it and I think they will I'll be glued to every game I'm sure you will Andrew that is the fabulous Tim Nichols, who is our Deputy Sports Editor thanks for joining us (laughs) So it's Valentine's Day. We think red roses, don't we? We think chocolates, wine, champagne. What else should we be thinking about? What about what you do at dinner? Hayley Quinn is a dating expert and she's also an accomplished public speaker whose TEDx talk has been viewed too million times her talks cover relationships dating self-confidence and she runs courses and workshops to help make dating fun and confidence boosting so Haley, it's Valentine's Day if I take my partner for dinner tonight what should I do how should I behave any tips well
5: I Absolutely. Well, I think there's a bit of a difference there, isn't it? If it's somebody who's your long-term partner, in which case I'm sure any novelty of leaving the house will be very much welcome, or whether it's actually on a first date, which I think would cause a lot of people plenty of anxiety. Sure. Um, especially as we've been re- reading in these stats lately from Friday that apparently 30% of single Brits feel like they've forgotten how to read the signs and essentially what to do on a date after sort of two years of having to conduct their dating life on Zoom. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah, I was going to say, because of the last couple of years, people have been, they, people meet on websites, they've been talking on Zoom. Just let's hypothesise this is a first date on val- tonight, Valentine's night. Um, what should you do in the man's role? Let's take the man's role here. Should I arrive with flowers, chocolates, or, or is that too much on a first date? If we're going I to would do say it? it's
5: too, too, too much on a first date. I think actually a first date, a good, good, a good way to look at this is to think about how we can reduce the pressure, both for yourself and for the other person, because... A first date, it's an opportunity to get to know someone. It's hopefully an opportunity to have fun. But it's very hard to tell ahead of time whether there's going to be that compatibility there to want to see someone again. So with that in mind, you probably don't want to overextend yourself too much. So think about keeping the date to that sweet spot of a couple of hours long rather than five hours. Try to do something that's slightly more informal. So if you're going for dinner, maybe try for cocktails, dessert, appetizers instead of a, you know a, a committing to a three-course meal. Think about stuff like travel time. You know, If you end up traveling way out of your way for a first date and there's no connection, again, that's going to feel a little bit more annoying than if you did something that was slightly easier for you to get to. So think about what's going to be easy for you, what's going to be fun, so that even if it is just that one time you meet someone, you're going to still walk away from it feeling like it was a positive experience.
0: What of what of the bill again? Now, um, in the in the, these days of equality, should we be go? Would you be suggesting people go Dutch, or that uh, one or other offers to pay for all of it?
5: Well, I think the bill, as much as I would love there to be a rule around this, I think splitting the bill really does come down to personal preference. There's going to be some people who like to take the lead and pay the bill, some people who like to be treated, and other people who love to split. And I think whether you and your date are on roughly the same page around this is probably a pretty good indicator of compatibility. That being said, I do think if you are the person who selects the date venue so maybe this is more traditionally the male role sometimes there can be more of an expectation for you to pay so choosing a date venue again that doesn't overextend you financially as well is usually smart
0: right now there's all sorts of other th- problems aren't there what do you do at the end of the first day if it's gone well do you try and steal a kiss or is that verboten
5: <laughs> no I think it, I think it's perfectly right to have a, first, a kiss on a first date however I would probably not wait for the very last second I know it can feel like that's the right time to do things but honestly I think most first dates usually end up on a mode of public transport or hailing a cab either way it's usually not conducive to, to having a kiss so if the, you feel the kiss is on the cards, try and communicate that on slightly earlier in the date it might be easier actually to have a quick kiss at the bar or in the restaurant than um, outside you know trying to hail a cab and again, because we're in 2022, we're probably not going to just lunge in and go for the kiss, particularly after COVID, any kind of physical touch. We just want to communicate around that. And that doesn't have to be terribly awkward. You could say, you know, I'd really like to kiss you now and see what the other person responds. And in fact, yeah. said in a way that's assertive, it can be really attractive and you've got the consent issue out of the way.
0: And how do we know about a second date? Maybe we haven't even got that the, there's no kiss happens. Would we have, Naturally, do you think picked up whether there's going to be a second date, whether they seem keen or not? Because some people might feel humiliated if they say, "Can I see you again?" and the person says, "I don't think so." Would we'll
5: be awful. Yeah, yeah. I probably wouldn't phrase it. I think the trick there is not to phrase it as a question. i phrase right. it as a statement of what you'd right. like to happen. So I would say, if you say, "You know, I've had a really great time," or oh, "I've had, I've had, it's been good finally meeting you," let's do this again sometime. So it leaves it more open-ended. And then also, you know, there's many a date, has first date has happened, where people have felt like it's gone really well but have never met one another again. So remember a couple of things. Whether someone sees you again, that isn't necessarily a reflection of how attractive or how interesting you are. That could actually come down a lot to what's going on in their life at the moment and how ready and open they are to this whole dating thing secondly instead of seeing a date as you know it's almost like an exam that you have to pass and the other person can reject you really stay focused on what you know whether you're feeling that connection do you like them do you feel the conversation is flowing so instead of it all being about you impressing someone make it about a two-way process of choosing each other.
0: Finally what are the worst mistakes people make on that first date what is the worst mistake?
5: Well I think unanimously in um, Friday's research it was um, the most common pet peeve was looking at your mobile phone during the day oh, so not being no. present potentially put, take, putting some photos of your food on social media or even worse checking to see who else has sent you a message on that dating app major major no-no right there
0: <laughs> i can't believe people would be so daft but perhaps they are
5: uh-huh. I over half of people are possibly that daft so you know what day? be present put that phone on airplane mode put it in your handbag or in your pocket and you know be there and engage with your date in the real world
0: advice that's hayley quinn the dating expert and it's valentine's day so whatever you're doing tonight enjoy and listen to some of that advice and for god's sake keep your phone out of sight thanks for joining us That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the MailPlus app every weekday at 5pm. You can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pearce. This is The Andrew Pearce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night.